Uh, we have a lot of things going on here at the church. I don't know if you've seen our bullets in our newsletter lately, but there is a lot that we have going on. Um, we have a super family fun night coming up at the end of February. That same night, Eric's taking the youth to Winter Jam. Um, we have the preteen convention that's coming up. Uh, and that's just some of the extra stuff on top of the IF conference for ladies that we had this past weekend. If you missed that and you're a female, you missed a wonderful time. Ran a little long, but it was awesome, and we had a great time with it. Um, and that's still on top of all the regular stuff we have going on, which is, you know, worship here, life groups that are going on, um, fusion with Eric is happening for middle and high school students, um, our monthly men's breakfast at Bojangles is happening this Saturday. There is a lot of stuff, so make sure you pick up a bulletin, make sure you pick up a newsletter, make sure you stay informed about what's going on. We're finishing up this series today called Mission Possible, where we've looked at our mission statement, and ease, frankly, it's uh, love God, love people, and impact the world. And it's simple, it's short, it's concise. And we work hard for all these events and everything we do to fall in one of these categories. But not, also, not only that everything we do fits in these categories, but that there's a nice even balance to it. We can't be all on one side or the other. We can't have everything here at the church focused on discipleship and fellowship and working with each other and not go out and serve and love people. But we also can't just only go out and serve and love people if we're not doing anything here at the church. I mean, there, there's a balance to it. And it's really tough sometimes to get that balance right. But then we throw something else in there called rest. Uh -huh. how, or how many of us are good at rest? Okay, there's a couple. That's good. But again, if we get that out of balance, then we're just lazy, right? <laughs> but we have to rest as well. With so much going on, there's a balance to everything. And so we look at impacting the world. This last weekend at the IF conference, they talked a lot about discipleship being a focus and about how we are to, as women, because it was a women's conference, impact the world and change the world. They, they brought up different organizations that were doing that around the world. There's a few people that come to mind, and you maybe know of a few as well, that when you talk about impacting and changing the world, this one person or this one event changed everything. Sometimes it's for the good, Martin Luther King, right? Sometimes maybe not so much. Hitler the atrocities that, that he was responsible for, events that changed the world, events that maybe just changed the world for us in America, for changed worldwide. There's a lot of them, and I know for some of you in your field specifically, there's maybe even more. I've talked with nurses and doctors who talk about the discovery of penicillin, the invention of the MRI has changed the medical field around the world. It was a discovery, it was something new that impacted everything in that field. Whatever field it is, whatever you do, there was something that changed it for everybody. Same is true when we look in scripture. There's not many. We don't have every day and every person in every field impacting the world, changing everything. And the same is true when we look in scripture. There are great men and women, but there's a few people who stand out who literally changed the world who impacted the world, and it's never been the same since. And though God is responsible for the impact, he used people. And I will look at three people in particular this morning, the first of which is a guy by the name of Noah. 
I don't know if you've heard of this guy or not, but he lived about 11 generations from the creation of the world. Now, this was back in the time where people lived a lot longer, closer to 400, 500, 600, 700 years old. People didn't wait, or people did wait to have kids until they were closer to 120, which I found out the hard way this week. This is not a good recommendation to make to your wife. <laughs> it's not good. So we're talking about 1,500 years or so since the beginning of the world, and Noah finds him, himself in a place where he is the only faithful God follower left. And I notice some of you think that you're in that place at your job or at your work where you're the only Christian, and it's tough. Or maybe you find yourself that with, with a certain temptation, that no one else struggles with this, or, or an illness, or something where... No one gets what I'm going through, and it feels incredibly lonely. And I think that's just a lie that Satan tells us so that he can just isolate us, and he can get us alone. Because like a lion or cheetah, they isolate, they pray, they wait till one is, something's alone, and then they go pounce, and Satan does the same thing. He waits till we've cut ourselves off from our faith family, from our community, and then he attacks us. And so the longer he can get us to buy into this lie that we're alone, that we're by ourselves, that other people just don't get what I'm going through or where I am, the easier it is for Satan to get us. But the truth of the matter is, there are believers on every continent, in every country. There are believers around the world, and we are not the only ones. You're not the only one going through a specific temptation. You're not the only one who's suffering from any illness. You're not the only one in any regard where you think you are. Sometimes what we have to do is, take, is swallow our pride, set it aside, and ask for some help. We have to talk to people and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this thing. Do you know of someone who could help? Do you know of someone who's been there? Do you know of someone that I could talk to just to get some encouragement? And it's not an easy thing to do, but that's what we as believers are supposed to do. And this is where Noah did not find himself. He and his family were literally the only believers in the entire world. And we get to this verse that I, if you told me this was in scripture, I would not believe you. Genesis 6, 5 and 6 says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw everything they, they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on earth. It broke his heart. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them and put them on earth. Well, if God is God and knew this would happen, why did he make them in the first place? If God knew he would find himself in this place where he was sorry and wished he had never put them on earth, why did he do it? God, who has no beginning, was doing perfectly fine before he created man. And yet he still, knowing this would happen, created man anyway. I wish I had a good answer for you. I look at the world around me today and I find myself asking the same questions. Cancer, genocide, doesn't take long before you're watching or reading the news and you wonder, why God? Why do you let this happen and where are you? I wish I had a good answer. 
from the text, I see two things. One, I see that it stands in direct, directly opposite when God created the world just a couple chapters earlier. You remember as he's creating the world, he creates something that says it is good. And now this stands in contrast to it where what he created was good, but then sin came in and has had its way for so long that it is totally and completely evil. And what God created to be good is now not. Nothing's new. It's been this way for years. The second thing that this shows me is how God feels about it. What's the last part of that verse say? It broke his heart. I know that God does not see this and stand idly by just with no affect on his face at all. It breaks his heart the way it breaks our heart. And the closer we are to a situation, the more it breaks our heart. If it's our family member going through a tough time, it breaks our heart the most. Rather than seeing someone else who, who it's, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but we're removed from it. But we are all God's children. And for God's children to be suffering in other places where we just read about it, God is there with them. He sees what's happening. He is their father. It breaks his heart. I don't know why. I don't have a good answer for it. But I know that once God starts over with Noah and his family, everything changed. Now we are much further removed from this than Noah was from the creation of the world. And there are believers everywhere. That we are a far cry from being in Noah's spot where we are the only ones who believe in God. And that is such good news. So God comes to Noah, and I don't know what this conversation was like exactly, but he basically tells him, I need you to build this big boat. I'm going to send rain. It's going to flood the whole world. Something to that effect. And I can only imagine the questions that Noah had. You're going to do what? How? Who? What? Huh? No clue. Genesis 2.6 says, And mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. We get this idea from the beginning of Scripture that up to this point there was no rain. Not as we are used to it. That the ground was watered from beneath. So if that was the case, he one, doesn't know what rain is, and two, doesn't know what a flood is. Now we're familiar with the devastation a flood can cause, but still on this level... It's something totally different than what we're used to. But what strikes me about Noah in this circumstance is his obedience. He doesn't know what's coming. He has no clue what is actually about to happen. And from the sound of it, sounds like it's something in the sci-fi movies, if they had movies back then. Like, it just doesn't make sense. But Noah says, okay, God, I trust you, and I'll do it. And his obedience is what led him to impacting the world. His obedience and trusting God led him to follow God whatever he said. And sometimes that can be scary, can't it? Like Noah, sometimes we find ourselves in a spot where we have no clue what God is asking us to do. It doesn't make sense. You want me to do what? You want me to serve who? I, 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 I can't do that. I don't, I don't have the resources for that. I'm not the right person for that. I can't do that. 
question is, will we obey? Didn't make a lot of sense to Noah, but he obeyed anyway. And over the years, I've been convinced of two things. One, if God calls you to do something, he will provide the resources to do it. He will give you what you need to do what he has called you to do. And number two, if he calls you to do something, he will prepare you for what he's calling you to do. And of those two things, I feel very certain. What gets tricky is when we confuse the voice of God with the voice of our own heart. Because like Noah's time, there's evil in us. There's sin in us. We're selfish people. And sometimes we think, you know, I'd really like to do this thing. I wonder if God is calling me to do it. So we'll phrase it in a pretty way, like God's calling me to do this, when really it's our selfish desires, it's the evil in our heart, it's, it's just our own desires, like I want this, and I'm just going to pretty it up and say God's calling me to it. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful that the thing we actually think God is calling us to is what God is calling us to. And I wish I had an easy formula, I wish I could say it was like this, 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 and this, but I don't. It's not easy. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of spiritual maturity and a lot of spiritual discipline to differentiate between the voice inside of us and the voice of God inside of us. A key aspect of that is prayer. And that brings us to the second person who I believe changed the world that we see in Scripture, and that is the man of Joshua. Joshua chapter 10, we see this time that Joshua is leading the people of Israel and there's an army forming against Israel, and Joshua goes to God in prayer. What should I do? What should we do as a nation? God says, gather the armies, go against them. I've delivered them into your hands. And it's this really cool story. I encourage you to go read it in Joshua chapter 9. God actually intervenes too and just throws rocks down from the sky. How crazy would that be to watch that, right? How awesome would that be? But as the enemies were fleeing... Joshua prays again, and I love this prayer, Joshua 10, 12. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still in Gibeon, and O moon in the valley of Ajalon, which I'm sure is not the correct pronunciation there. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. How awesome is that? It literally impacted the whole world that the world stood still, the sun stood still, the moon. I don't know what happened, but everything changed in that moment. There have been scientists who have tried to figure out by the rotation of the world and stuff that's way over my head, did this actually happen? Can we scientifically prove that this happened? Some say they can. Others discredit their work and say that their math is flawed. I don't know. I see this in scripture and know that something changed that day. I mean, imagine being on the other side of the world and your alarm clock, if they had those back then, waking you up and going outside and starting with your day and it's still dark outside and you get to lunch and it's still dark. Like, how confusing would that be? Crazy. But I think it points to the power of prayer. First, it was Joshua's obedience that led him into that battle. God said, go. He went. And then to finish it up, they were running away. They were running out of daylight. Joshua prayed, let us finish this battle you have called us to fight. May the sun stand still so we can do what we need to do. There is so much power 
and prayer. There is so much power in prayer when we can pray the right way. Because again, our motives, our evil desires stand in our way. James 4, 2 and 3 says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet. You cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Jim says, because you don't have, you fight amongst yourselves, and you might have if you just ask, but you're not going to receive when you ask because you're asking for the wrong motives. You get what I'm saying? We're not asking for the right things in the right way because of our hearts. Our hearts aren't focused on the things of God, the kingdom of God. They're focused on self. They're focused on evil acts because our hearts are evil. And not explicitly evil acts, maybe good things, but they're not in the will of God. We have this story that Jesus, of, of Jesus walking along and Peter saying, Jesus will protect you. It ain't going to happen. He says, away from me, Satan. It's not that Peter was Satan or an evil guy, but that Peter was standing in contrast and opposite, in opposition to the will of God, to the kingdom of God, to what Jesus Christ was trying to do. And anything that is not in line with the will of God is evil. This last weekend at the women's conference, one of the women was spoken that evil is not a 180 degree turnaround from what is good, from what is right. It's just a little different. It's just a little separation. It's just a little tweak. It's just a little off by a little bit. So we have to pray. We have to make sure our heart is in the right kind of, is with pure motives, pure heart. When we go before God and we ask for the right things, for the kingdom of God here on earth. And when we do that, mountains are moved. When we do that, powerful and incredible things happen. In the book of Mark, we have this story of Jesus sending out his disciples two at a time, or in groups of two, to raise the dead to life, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to do incredible things. They come back together in Mark chapter 9, and there's a demon-possessed man, and they've cast out demons before. They know the drill. They know what to do, but they can't cast this one out. So Jesus comes up on this commotion, and in Mark 9, 27, he said to them, this king kind of cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This demon that you're trying to cast out by other ways, it cannot be driven out any other way but by prayer. There is power in prayer. There is power to move mountains, to cast out demons. There is so much power in prayer when we focus on the things of God and not the things of man. First century BC, there was a, uh, a drought that was throughout the entire land, had gone on for years, and people were literally on the brink of death. They started coming to this man named Honi, H O N I, who was prophet of sorts of God, a very spiritual man. And they were begging, please intercede on our behalf before God to send rain. So a crowd grew, and Honey took a stick, six foot long, and drew a circle in the sand 
around where he stood. And then he prayed to God. He said, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name, I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. And I don't know how long it took, but before you know it, there were raindrops, sprinkles, just starting to lightly come down. People were rejoicing. They were celebration. They were so happy that there was just something coming down from heaven. But Honey wasn't satisfied with that. He prayed again, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns and pits and caverns. And before you know it, a torrential downstorm, unlike anything we have ever seen before, started coming down. People started running for fear of flooding. Eyewitnesses say that the raindrops were as big as eggs. Massive torrential downpour. Wasn't good enough. He prayed a third time, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of your favor, blessing, and graciousness. It wasn't about the rain. It was about God's favor. It was about providing for his children. Shortly after that, the torrential downpour slowed to a nice, steady rain. There is so much power in prayer. If we could have the things of God, the kingdom of God in our hearts and on our mind, when we go before God in prayer, instead of the things that we want, Instead of the things that we desire, prayers for the kingdom of God, for God's blessings, for his favor, for wisdom, for grace, for protection, for those who are outcast by society. The kingdom of God coming to earth. So first we have to obey, we have to pray, and the greatest example by far of a world changer, of someone who impacted the world, Jesus Christ. The one who set aside the throne of heaven, who left the attention of the angels and came as a man, who limited himself to the form of a man, to be with us. And as we we see throughout Jesus' life, he exemplified these as well. He was obedient to the Father, obedient to the point of death. He prayed Though himself God, he set aside time to go and pray to God the Father. But the greatest example that Jesus leaves behind of us for how to impact, how to change the world, is how he loved people. And I know we just spent a couple weeks talking about this, but we cannot stress this enough. Jesus himself said of of all the commandments, of all the laws, the two greatest are to love God and to love people. And it's not this shallow kind of love, but it's a deep love for people. James clarifies in James 1.27 that religion is not coming here and sitting in a pew. Religion is not coming together as brothers and sisters and praising God and going home and going about our lives. Pure religion is not just sitting on our butts. It's providing for the widows and orphans in their distress. It's going into the world. It's serving people. It's loving people. And when we can love people well, then the world is changed. When we can love people where we're at, the world is changed. And it's amazing. I firmly believe that we are here in Mechanicsville for a reason and for a purpose. 
That this church is in Mechanicsville for a reason and a purpose. That there are people in this community who need us to love them and to love them well. There are people around us who need us to show the love of Christ to them in a way that is tangible, in a way that meets their needs, in a way that Christ would do if he was here. There are people around us who we need to love. And not for the sake of our own name. We do a lot at Mechanicsville Elementary School, and I love it. They love it. It's awesome. We've built some picnic benches. We've built tables for the teacher's lounge. You guys may not know this. Every now and then, we'll just go down to Krispy Kreme and get 15 dozen donuts and take them over there for no reason whatsoever. It is awesome. We're loving them the way Christ would. And I don't care if they know we did it. If there's conversations in the teacher's lounge about where these tables came from and someone says, I don't know, some church did it for us, and they think it's the other MCC, Mechanical Christian Center, or Mechanical Baptist, praise God. If it gets them into church and they give their life to Christ, praise God. It is not about our name. It is not about Mechanical Church of Christ. It is about being Christ. Being Christ. Christ and showing his love to those around us, regardless of who gets the credit, as long as God does. As long as God is glorified, as long as God gets the praise and glory and honor, I don't care if they know our name. I don't care if you don't know my name. If God gets the glory, that is all that matters. Mark last week talked about being the kid at uh, at the lake who liked to skip rocks and see the ripples that happened. When I was growing up, I liked to be on boats, and that was probably before boats were created, when Mark was growing up. Um, but I liked riding on boats and on inner tubes. We had a couple families at the church who had boats and the inner tubes that you drug behind. Have you guys done that before? I don't know. I loved it. They said that I looked like a bobblehead just bouncing behind the boat. It was, it was a, such a blast. I loved it. But the best part about it was when the boat took a turn and I got out of the direct wave of the boat. You know, there's that little indention where the boat's just gone by. And I got out of that and rode the waves. And that's where it got like really bouncy and really started. Oh, it was so much fun. The truth of the matter is we are all riding the waves of someone else. Do you remember who brought you to Christ? Who introduced you to Christ for the first time? Do you know who brought that person to Christ? Do you know who brought that person to Christ? Generations ago, there was someone who talked to someone else, who talked to someone else, who talked to someone else, who then talked to you about Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is we're all riding waves. And it is such a great thing when we ride waves. Because we're not the rock that makes the waves, that's Jesus Christ. He's the one who made a wave that we get to ride and we get to pass that on to other people. Whether it's over here at Mechanicsville Elementary School or around the world, we have a lot of missionaries that we support. Haiti, India, Kenya, Ukraine, and others here in America. And we don't directly see sometimes where that money goes. And it doesn't directly go to changing a life. But it goes to making a wave. 
It goes to support a ministry. It goes to support a missionary. It goes to support a program, a fooding program, or an after school, or a school program, or a well. It goes to something to where people know about the love of Christ. And it's just one wave in a series of hundreds. To really impact the world, we don't have to do anything great. We just have to make a wave. We have to be part of a wave. We just got to love people. And they may not come to know Christ from what we do, but they will know that someone cares for them. And you might just be a wave in their faith journey, but sooner or later, because of what you've done, because of what the person before you've done, because of what the person after you've done, they may just come to know Christ. Tuesday afternoons, I like to go down to the local cup, and I'll take my computer with me, and I work on church stuff there. I'm not just being lazy. But I like just to use their Wi-Fi and get a cup of coffee, tea actually, and just do some work. It's a great place to meet people in the community. It's a great place to meet with visitors here. If you want to connect with me, I'm just, that's my default meet at the local cup on Tuesday afternoons. A couple months ago, several months ago, we had a new family that came. And they met me down there. And they said, we'd like to get plugged in. We'd like to become members. We've been attending for a while, and we'd like to take the next step. And like to not just become members, but get plugged in and serve somewhere. So we started talking. What are your gifts? What are your talents? What do you enjoy doing? Where do you feel God's calling you to do? And in the midst of this conversation, it came up that they like to garden. And I thought, ah, gardening. We can find you a spot with that. Mechanicsville Elementary School, they have a huge garden, and they need someone to take care of it. I'll tell you, I haven't seen anybody taking serving as seriously as this couple has. It has been incredible. Handwritten notes to keep me updated as far as what they're doing at Mechanicsville Elementary School. They've taken plants to master gardeners, one of which um, the, the wife almost was, a master gardener. I mean, it's, it's a group, you do certification, testing. Anyway, she's taking that and she's trying, she's, they're having it analyzed at Virginia Tech. They're investing. They are doing their best to make this garden the best it can be. And I almost promise you that nobody's going to look at that garden and say, huh, maybe I need to become a Christian. Ain't going to happen. But they will look at that garden and say, huh, that looks different from the way it did last year. Someone's been taking care of that garden. I wonder who's taking care of it. They might ask. They might find out. But they know that someone cares. They know this one loves them, that somebody wants that school to thrive and be the best it can be in every aspect, down to the garden. You don't have to change literally the entire world. Just be part of a wave. Father God, you are so great to us. You have consistently loved us in ways that we don't always realize. And sometimes makes it hard. Makes it hard for us to see you at work in our lives and the lives of others. And 
God, just sometimes it's tough. We look around us and we see the evil. We see the hatred. We see the things that break our heart. And God, there's a level of peace that comes to know that it breaks yours too. God, I pray for the opportunity this week for us to all obey you with whatever you've called us to do. God, I pray for the chance this week to rest and to pray, to make sure it is you who's speaking to us. God, more than anything, though, I pray that you give us an opportunity to be part of a wave that you help us to get off our butts and to love people and to love people well and to serve others as though we are serving you. God, we have some great examples in Scripture of people who have done magnificent things through you, that you have used people in powerful ways. And God, I just pray that you use us, pray that you should use me in one way, to impact one person this week. God, we love you. We trust you. We follow you wherever you lead us. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.